listening to the podcast edition of One Love, One Planet. I have a, a couple of voice messages. Um, I think we might listen to those first, actually. The first one is from Andy Shepherd, who is the Principal Scientific Advisor to the European, European Space Agency, Cryosat. And I saw a Twitter from him. And this is what he wrote. Just received the most disappointing news of my career. The EU Copernicus Climate Change Service are preparing to terminate UK partners, including the polar ice sheet measurements I supply, more or less my life's work in the middle of a climate crisis. So I got in touch with him and said, Andy, please, could you just tell us? Yeah, just tell us a little bit more about that. So, Andy, over to you. Hi, my name is Andy Shepherd, and I work at the University of Leeds in the UK. I am also the Principal Scientific Advisor to the European Space Agency's Cryosat mission. I also direct the UK Centre for Polar Observation and Modelling, and I lead the European Space Agency and NASA joint activity to monitor ice losses from Antarctica and Greenland and their sea level contribution. And this is a contribution to the IPCC assessment reports. I've been working with satellite measurements for the past 20 to 30 years, um, developing a capability to monitor ice losses from the polar regions. And that's evolved into an operational service to provide these measurements for society through the European Union's Copernicus Climate Change Service. We were part of the service when it was first formed, and we've been uh, leading the cryosphere activity since then. Unfortunately, the UK is no longer a partner in the European Union, as I'm sure everybody knows. And the negotiations that were meant to take place after our exit have broken down and we are no longer subscribed to any of the joint science activities. We've tried our best to stay involved in the Copernicus Climate Change Service because we think our measurements are the world's best and also really important to society. But unfortunately, this last week, we were notified that the European Union wants to initiate our termination from that service. And so we'll no longer be involved as of the end of March 2023. Either the measurements of ice losses that we produce won't be included in the future in the service or somebody in Europe will have to reproduce the capability that we've developed over the past 20 to 30 years. Neither of these are really good solutions and it's a really good example of how politics can interfere and break down um, important uh, scientific collaborations that, that actually benefit society. We really hope that the people involved will get back around the table and hammer out a deal to make sure that we don't have to waste all the effort that we've put in over the past few decades and that the measurements that we produce, which are really important for planning future sea level rise mitigation activities and adaptation, can continue to be delivered to European citizens and global citizens in what is really the world's premier climate data service. Hopefully um, that might happen before uh, our involvement is terminated next year. Ah, oh, don't know what to say to that, really. Um, Andy, thank you very, very much 
for um, sending us that message, telling us a bit more about it. Um, I know now that presumably you're going to have to be spending time lobbying, lobbying just to have your work uh, being included as part of, as you say, this really important process of mitigating and adapting um, to climate change. It is crazy, crazy, crazy that we are spending all this time doing something that we never needed to do, Brexit, um, and something which is so damaging. Um, All that research and, as you say, politics really getting in the way of science, if only that could all stay above, and I'm sure it maybe might have been able to if it hadn't been all this, for all this stuff over the Northern Ireland Protocol. Um, Can I just say, Please do, yeah. uh, I think it's really disappointing that at a time when we know that we all have to be working together and collaboratively, cooperatively trying to find solutions to many different problems, there is this big increase in divisiveness and separation and argumentation between people. And it's something that seems to be part of human nature. It's something that seems to be part of who we are which we really need to look at and address so as to find ways of ameliorating it very very well put rob yes very wise words um and i'm sure that we will hear more of the spirit of that kind of thing yeah later on presumably yeah you're absolutely right um somehow we have to sort of rise above that polarization because Brexit has been terribly polarising. And, of course, COVID as well with vaccines. So somehow we have to find a way, yeah, find a way through that. Um, Right, our second message is from Elwok Benedict, who... But Benedict, um, Elwok got in touch again, wanting to to let us know about work that he is doing with um, Textile Generation which is an organisation he founded, which is doing very good things in Kenya, Um, lots of different sort of um, social projects, but also working against climate change. So um, here he is telling us about the work that he does. Greetings, everyone. My name is Elwak Benedict, a co-founder of Textile Generation. Textile Generation is a non-profit outfit based in Kenya and interested in endorsing, supporting and celebrating the use of sports to advance awareness on social issues and advocate for community development. This organization was founded in 2021 with an objective of addressing the effects of COVID-19 pandemic that has exposed fragility of the world and radically transformed economies and societies, therefore triggering for an urgent enactment of global goals. Textile Generation basically operates in alignment with these sustainable development goals. That is a roadmap that was adopted by the world leaders in 2015 to inspire necessary actions in the areas of critical importance to humanity. The phenomenal energy behind this initiative is drawn from the founders' desire to empower fellow youth such that they become productive participants in Kenya's long-term economic and social development. Our service delivery draws inspiration mostly from our partners who have been in the game for quite a while 
and have impacted many lives across the globe. We are proud that as a result of such association, we have successfully on our part rolled out programs that will help fasten the journey to achieving Vision 2030 objectives. For instance, on the part of climate action, we aim at restoring the dignity of our beautiful environment through a monthly tree planting program dubbed Let's Make the World Green Again with Textile Generation. Our target by the end of 2022 is to plant 5,000 tree seedlings and thus the project incorporates sports to enhance performance. Textile Generation adopts the use of sports as a vehicle to achieve maximum results because sports is a powerful enabler of sustainable development. That is, through the power of sports to convene masses, we are able to organize friendly matches on a monthly basis between several age categories from different sports foundations. The tradition here is each player and every supporter in attendance is requested to plant at least two tree seedlings before the matches kick off. So far, we have organized two of such tree planting exercises and out of each planted 1,000 tree seedlings. We are glad that people are gaining interest to partake in this activity and therefore we call on the rest of the world to consider an action on climate as urgent and a collective responsibility. For more interaction with us and our ideas on climate, kindly visit our social media platforms. Thank you, Penny, for hosting me. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, Elwat, for getting in touch. And you're so right that sport is is such a brilliant way of of bringing people's attention to what's happening in climate change. As you say, a great enabler. Fantastic idea to get the players and the supporters to plant trees. Because to start with, I thought it was just the players, but the supporters as well. Brilliant. Um, so if you're over here in the UK and you are involved in... Um, in community sports or indeed in professional sports. Um, I mean, I know that um, lots of things are being done behind the scenes at football clubs and stuff, but um, yeah, you could do worse than have a look, check out Textile Generation because we should be learning from each other. You know, there are people and things happening all over the world. Um, people will have tried different initiatives. Things work, some things don't. And we're all slowly connecting up, which is one of the brilliant things of social media. Um, I know there's lots and lots of bad, but there are some very good things. So, Elwood, thank you so much. <laughs> Okay, to start with, before we talk about regenerative culture, could you please just tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you do? Yes, uh, I used to be a teacher. I spent 30 years being a teacher in secondary schools, mostly teaching English. And then I took early retirement from being a teacher and I studied to become a counsellor, as in therapy, and I work as a therapist. Thank you. Okay, which, right, I can see where the the connection would come in then with regenerative culture. Um, Where should we start? Um, Please, could you just tell us 
what it is. <laughs> regenerative culture. I, I think regenerative culture is about trying to make sure that everything that we do is sustainable. And that includes all the actions that we take and the things that we are um, habitually doing and, and we don't always consider and, and, and think about. And one of the things that I notice, which I think is very prevalent in our way of thinking about the climate crisis, is that we're, we're always looking for a way out. We're always looking for a way of... Uh, getting a new kind of technology or a, a different way of doing things or uh, something that will let us off the hook, that will enable us to continue acting and behaving and responding exactly as we have done up until now. And I think what regenerative culture is about is looking at the ways in which our behavior, each one of us individually as well as collectively, needs to change in order to be able to live sustainably on earth. Yes, absolutely. Um, we were talking about that last week, actually, the whole business of techno fixes. Um, and I think they sort of link in as well with the sort of Hollywood idea that somebody is going to leap in at the last minute with this sort of miracle techno fix and it probably ain't going to happen. And, um, and it even comes down to something which I find quite difficult to take on board where someone who was uh, a scientist, a climate scientist, was saying that perhaps the war in Ukraine would be in, in quotes, beneficial, because it would mean that it would steer us away from Russian oil. Whereas my sense is that the war in Ukraine and Russian oil and all sorts of other things are all interconnected. And it's quite impossible to say, I like this bit and I don't like that bit. We have to look at the system as a whole and see what needs to change. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, this this culture, it comes out of... Extinction Rebellion, doesn't it? Yes. Could you talk about it in that? Yes. Tell us about that, please, if you would. Well, I can say personally that I have been involved in Extinction Rebellion for about three years, and I've been part of the Regenerative Cultures Working Group in Extinction Rebellion for two years. And became a place that I felt really at home in because what the Regen Working Group seeks to do is to look at the ways that we are doing things and try to make sure that uh, they are done in, in the best possible way. For example, one of the things that can easily happen Somebody who gets very involved in wanting to take action, wanting to do something to uh, change what's going on, can very easily feel that they have to go from one action to the next to the next and they have to keep going and then they get to a place of burnout and then they can't do it anymore and they give up. And regenerative culture is very much about self-care and interpersonal care and community care and planet care and action care, looking at all those aspects and trying to make sure that we see the whole picture rather than just one particular aspect of it. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, so it's it's sort of varying layers, isn't it? Now, could you explain at, at the most sort of, in a way, the most basic practical layer, how does that work in terms of something like the big XR actions, for example? Well, uh, what I think of as the sort of bread and butter of Regen is uh, linked to action well-being. And um, it is to do with making sure that people who are taking actions have what they need. So that could be umbrellas or blankets or sun cream or water uh, or a space where they can come and chill out for a while if they need to get away from the action for a bit and so on. So that's one of the things that Regen uh, begins to... Um, it's the beginning of what Regen provides. It, it's it's the starting point. OK, right. And I think everybody would would get that completely. That that sort of makes sense. So where, where does it go from there? Well, then? Um, then you come to what happens after the action... And after the action, it's important that there are debriefs that people can look at uh, uh, what's happened and assess it and evaluate how it went. And linked to that, uh, there is also on occasion a need for people to have spaces where they can talk, where they can speak about their experiences. And so one of the things that Regen does is to provide listening circles or listening benches uh, to which people can come along and everybody has the same amount of time, everybody is free to talk about whatever they want to talk about and everybody's contribution is seen as something which uh, encourages the whole, encourages all of us, so we thank each other for our contributions. And uh, that, that's like the, the, the next uh, step that it goes on to. Yeah, one of the things... Uh, I do really like about um, XR is this the importance of listening yes rather than talking yes um, and that whole thing of why wait isn't it why am I talking um, which I yeah is very very important so I imagine yes obviously the listening circles that that figures completely. I, I, I think we are very fond of talking and there are lots of people who are very fond of asserting their point of view and I think that at the moment the, uh, the, the, the thing that we most need is to be able to listen to each other because the, the only way that things are going to change, the only way in which uh, there is going to be a significant difference in how we actually deal with the various crises that we are facing is if we can bring people together and enable them to give voice to the uh, aspirations that they have, the things that they're worried about, uh, the things that get in the way, the, the uh, things that, that, that block progress. And uh, without that kind of listening, uh, we make all sorts of assumptions which are incorrect. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that XR has had its own problems internally, hasn't it, that some people haven't felt listened to. I know there were a lot of accusations of, you know, sort of lack of diversity and people not feeling comfortable in that space. Has that, 
how, has XR really addressed that, do you think, sufficiently? I think it's very difficult. If you get any group of people together, um, uh, e even if you've got five people and, and, and uh, ten people in, in the Regen Working Group, different people have different opinions. There's always going to be disagreement about how we should proceed, what we should do, what's important and what's less important. And it's not that we can somehow get rid of that disagreement or suppress it or pretend that it's not there. It, it's about how we deal with it and how we find a way of including all of these different opinions in a way that keeps people on board. At the end of the day, uh, with most situations, there has to be a negotiated settlement. And that only comes out of people giving up some of the things that they are really attached to and uh, accepting things that other people are really attached to and so on. And that's the... Uh, it's an imperfect process. It, I, I don't know that we ever get to the end of it. Uh, and I, I don't know about XR in general as to whether, uh, you know, there is a big debate at the moment between people who are just wanting to persevere with actions and keeping going and, 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 and being very uh, in your face about it and other people who want uh, a, a different um, process. And I think one of the things that XR has done really well uh, is to highlight the climate crisis and get people to a point where they talk about it most days on the radio, on the news, there's, there's something about uh, what's happening with the climate. But I think we've been much less successful in addressing what can we do about it, how can we deal with it. Right. Now, I yes, and I wonder whether actually um, a lot of people will say, we're not here to do that. We are here to sound an alarm and try and get citizens' assemblies, you know, get the media to tell the truth, which is what I'm trying to do here on this show. Um, and I actually think that community radio probably could play quite a big part in this hmm. um, in a way that mainstream media seem to find um, very difficult. Um, I, I think it is really important to try to get people to tell the truth because I was listening to a program the other day and it is astonishing how big corporations have been willing to uh, discredit uh, scientific work that goes against their um, economic interests. And, and, and to try to uh, pretend that uh, it, it's not valid. And, and that's where you get a whole lot of greenwashing, a whole lot of pretense. Like, you know, with the Bristol Airport, Bristol Airport says that it, it intends to become carbon neutral uh, by I don't know when. But their definition of carbon neutral excludes all the emissions which come from cars of people coming to the airport and all the emissions of aircraft flying from the airport. So it doesn't really mean anything. Mm. Yeah. It's a nonsense. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, li I like using that phrase, stay alert. 
<laughs> for precisely things like greenwashing because we really, really need to stay alert we, because that lobby is so... It's been going for decades, hasn't it? So it's a big, big machine that is in place um, to to try and boost fossil fuels and, and as you say, discredit um, the stuff that they don't want us to hear. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the, in, in the past, there were companies that were really committed to telling people that smoking is not that bad. Yes. You know, yeah. and, and now uh, the, the companies telling people that, oh, well, climate change is, we can deal with it. We can, you know, and, and then you get crass decisions like there's a windfall tax on uh, energy companies. But if they um, do exploration in the North Sea for uh, more oil and gas, uh, that they can yeah. reclaim the tax. Yes, actually, Rob, I just want to just go on a tiny little tangent while mm. I remember precisely on that, because yesterday, I don't know why it was only appeared yesterday, um, the on, on gov.uk, they're doing a consultation, a technical consultation on this windfall tax. So I thought, oh, I want to have a look at this. I'm not a technical person, obviously, at all. Uh, but I had a look at the document and there it is. It's absolutely in black and white. You know, um, you can pay less tax of this windfall tax if you are in the process of pursuing a new oil and gas project. And you just think this is just incredible. Anyway, they put, they've um, obviously very helpfully, they want feedback. Um, they put an email address on that site. So I emailed them, <laughs> giving them my technical <laughs> response. So I think everybody should get it. And apparently the deadline, I think, is tonight. So if you want to make your comments to the government on this, um, then I think if you go onto the government website um, and look for um, windfall, windfall tax, you will probably find it. I, I think it, it's astonishing because we know already that in order to avoid the worst effects of climate change, I think it's about 80% of the oil and gas that we have already discovered we need to leave in the ground. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So this whole idea that you need mm. to explore for more doesn't make mm. any kind of sense. Mm. No, absolutely. And going back to regeneration, this is what it's all about, isn't it? Extracting, 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 extracting all the time. Whereas the point of um, regeneration is about putting back in, isn't it? And nourishing, um, uh, particularly, you know, our soil, uh, because that's being very, very depleted. Um, Rob, I just wanted to take, take it back to to regenerative culture because something that I really like is this sort of the, the cycle that sort of connects up mm. with the mm. earth. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I, I was thinking of that because the, the regenerative cycle is linked to the cycle of the day, it's linked to the cycle of the year and it's linked in my way of thinking about it to the Gestalt cycle of experience, which is a way in which energy moves within us and, and the, the way in which we do things. So in terms of the uh, cycle of the day, uh, one of the points that I think is really important at dawn, dawn is related to gratitude. And I think that if, if what we do starts, this is like Joanna Macy's work, if we start from 
a place of coming from gratitude. We act in such a different way from the, the, the way that we act if we are constantly fighting something, constantly trying to get rid of something or, or change something. And if, if, if I start from the place where I feel grateful for all the things that I already have, it, it changes the way in which I engage with the problem in front of me. And I think that's very important. And then the, the other point which I think is also very important is when we get round to the end of the day and dusk. And dusk is about acceptance. And so at the end of an action, you have to accept that there are some things that went well and some things that went badly and there were some disagreements and there were things that were really good and joyful and uh, exciting. But um, we, we don't live in a world where everything is perfect and accepting the reality of what is is a very important first step in being able to do something about it i think we're very fond of thinking you know uh, if i was in a different place if i was somewhere else uh, then this is what i would do and then we imagine that we're there it's like people talking and saying we're going to do this we're going to do that and thinking that it's happened that it's already done and we, we find it I find it sometimes really hard to accept this is where I am this is where I'm starting from Rob I can imagine lots of young people particularly listening to you who I, I wonder whether they you will have <laughs> lightened a load momentarily. I think what you've just said is just absolutely beautiful for a way of being. I mean, I've, I've certainly uh, went through a period of being grateful, not necessarily in the morning, but just remembering to be grateful, hmm. but hadn't really thought about that side of acceptance, which I think, and I love that sort of link with dawn and dusk. I think that's fantastic. Hmm. You talked also about across the year. Did you? Yes, because uh, every process needs a winter time. Every process needs a period of rest and recuperation and preparation for the renewal. It, it, it's like, uh, in, in, in terms of how I feel in myself, uh, if, if I notice that I'm feeling hungry, first of all, there's the perception that I uh, am hungry, that I want something to eat. And then there's all the preparation that I can go through in, in uh, getting something to eat. And then there's the eating of it. And then there's the ending of that. And then I need to come back to a state of rest. It's no good if I just go on eating the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I think that that, that allowing of space and time for all of us to uh, recover and recuperate and prepare for the next thing that we want to engage with. In, in a world where everything is supposed to be so fast and where we're always trying to increase the speed at which things happen, that very often gets neglected. Yeah, and I remember being fascinated when I first noticed about... Um, exiles, rebellions, 
that they were taking place at a particular time of year. Mm. And as you say, there wasn't this mad rush to just keep doing stuff, keep doing stuff. No, we'd stop, pause, rest, reflect, renew, and then come back again. Because it's April and September, isn't it? So that's no accident, is it? No, I don't think it is. Yeah. I, I, I think it's... it's um Linked to the seasons of the year and and um, linked to the sense that um, we ourselves are part of the seasonality of life, and I think it, it it's it's something which is really important to try to heal the split between nature and human nature. Human nature is not some different kind of creation that, that is completely separate from nature. It's part of nature. And going back to something you said earlier, Penny, I think it, it's really important if we can change the attitude that we have towards resources, natural resources, and instead of thinking them as stuff that we can use for our own benefit if we think of them as qualities that we need to nurture and um, that, that, that we need to protect and preserve for future generations, I think that would be really good. Yeah. And, for example, uh, I mean, it, it strikes me as incredible that uh, they are talking about wanting to go mining in the really deep ocean where there are life forms that have evolved over millions of years that exist without sunlight, without any of the resources that we have on the surface of the earth. And, and because we need uh, the raw materials that are there in order to make mobile phones, large areas uh, where those... Uh, minerals are found might be destroyed and I, I think it's just incredible mm, yeah no absolutely it is um right rob i think we're um we're getting close to the end of the show um i've absolutely loved what i could feel like i could listen to you talk all day um and i feel so there's there is a lot more there is a, there's a lot more to regen so um i might have to sort of explore a bit more further down the line but um normally as i was saying to you before the show i do um this this thing called press pause which is where we slow down reflect um be a bit mindful meditative and um it turns out you have a poem you wrote that I think is perfect, actually, for this. So would you like to read it, please? Yes. Uh, this is uh, something that came to me the other day, and it is Approaching 80. What have I learnt in almost 80 years? I have learnt to plant my feet on the earth firmly, delicately, without too much fuss. I've learnt to give my anger a voice, particularly when bullies want to coerce me into obeying their will. 
I've learnt to speak more kindly to myself. I've learnt I don't have to figure it out all by myself, but can trust the wisdom of the hills, the rivers, the trees, the crows, who show me how to feel at home. I've learned that time is a trickster, muddling up before and after, youth and age, now and eternity. I've learned that loss can be the harbinger of something new and bright. I've learned to be grateful for what I've got, which is so much more than I imagined. I've learned that there's only this energy which we call love, in all her disguises of pain and grief and fear and ecstasy. And I am beginning to learn that this might, perhaps, just possibly, be enough. I don't want to talk. <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank you very much. Ah, um, what a lovely press pause that was. Um, Rob, thank you so much for coming along today. Thank you very much for inviting me. And uh, I'll see you next week.